episode of Fermented Adventure is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dawn, we have a new shirt design. We sure do. Dawn, what's our new shirt design? I have mixed drinks about feelings. Now, I have mixed drinks about feelings. How do people find I have mixed drinks about feelings? They go on our website at fermentedadventure.com. They can click on the apparel tab and it'll take them right to our merchandise. So click on the apparel tab. They'll find our brand new shirt design and they'll find other shirt designs as well. Other shirt designs as well. We have tanks, tees, hoodies, glasses, a bunch of different things. And we can still find tequila or cerveza made me do it as well, right? You can find that there as well. And if you want to be fashionable through the rest of the summer, we also have some podcast shirts for people to wear and enjoy going around and saying, hey, you listen to the Fermented Adventure podcast too? Yes. And don't forget our May Contain Whiskey shirt too. So go to FermentedAdventure.com, click on the apparel tab, buy the merchandise. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. She's Lauren Pats. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I wish Dawn were with us, but, you know, we'll make do. Dawn is on a secret mission, and uh, we can't talk about that because it's secret. But what isn't a secret, or what I'm hoping to do is make Redwood Empire less of a secret. So for Dawn and I, we were introduced to Redwood Empire at Bar Convent Brooklyn just this past June. We've never had it before. And I will tell you what, Lauren, this was love at first sip. It really was. We had such a great experience. If this were considered that first date, I would consider a marriage proposal coming soon. But uh, I know we have a lot to still work out. But, you know, for me and those that still haven't heard of Redwood Empire or the story, how did Redwood Empire Whiskey get started? Well, uh, first of all, don't make me blush. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that uh, that you enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, Redwood Empire, we're actually part of a larger company that has been around for 20 years making wine. And so uh, our owner, Derek Benham, he started a wine company um, years ago <laughs> and, uh, and has been very successful in building wine brands uh, and then selling them and, uh, you know, putting that money back into his company to build more more and more. And um, he sold Marquess, I believe in 2013. Uh, and with that kind of um, capital that 
that he was able to get from that sale, he decided he wanted to put that towards building out a distillery. So the idea kind of started circulating in 2013. The still and the distillery was finished uh, and operational around 2015. And our first product really uh, was, of course, some white spirits, uh, but uh, the whiskey didn't come out until 2019. So uh, it's been a progress. It's been a you know procession of time and patience. And uh, but our background really is uh, in wine, and we are located in the heart of wine country in Sonoma County, Northern California. I, I, I'm interested to know, going from wine, was there an interest? to in distilling in distillation and whiskey was it just by the fact that in the area that openness that that opportunity really wasn't served I think that uh, there's there's quite a few craft distilleries in the area now, um, but it lends itself to this philosophy that we really hold dear here, which is uh, this appreciation for quality and you know what we would call luxury items. <laughs> um, so once you start developing your palate, be it for coffee or chocolate or wine, uh, that appreciation and that uh, experience and relationship with your own taste is really applicable across the board. So people have been not only open and receptive to having whiskey being made here, but also very excited and invigorated by having uh, local spirits producers in their backyard. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, when people are out doing the wine trail and wine tasting and they come across this distillery, you know, is there like, hey, we'll wait and do that after or we'll incorporate this, we'll do it a different day. How does that work out for the, the tourists or people that are in the area? It's so interesting because I think everyone's experience can be kind of curated on their own. Uh, but I have found that uh, a lot of people want to include a distillery in their day in some way. Um, and so oftentimes they'll do uh, the wineries first. So they'll go out and like, you know, start, who knows, maybe like 10 o'clock, you know, go out and start having your wine tasting experience, maybe go to a few wineries. And then um, when it starts to be that cocktail hour, you get a hankering for a spirit and uh, you roll up to a distillery and order a cocktail or uh, a local bar and they have kind of a, a whole plethora of local distilleries and spirits there for you to choose from. It's been really, really fascinating to see that growth within um, our region in particular. I grew up in St. Helena, uh, which is in the Napa Valley, and I grew up in a winemaking family. And um, over the years, when we go out to eat, typically uh, when I was younger, it was always wine you'd see at the table. You wouldn't really see cocktails. I mean, maybe there'd be some things on uh, a back bar, but certainly not uh, what we are seeing now. And these days, you know, I go out to a, uh, a restaurant in the Napa Valley or in Sonoma in the city, and I often see people having a cocktail before dinner, wine with dinner, which 100% makes sense for me, and then a cocktail afterwards. So there's been this real shift uh, for people enjoying and appreciating spirits, you know, while they're enjoying their vacation and their time here. Redwood Empire, how'd that name come about? Well, we are located in the Redwood Empire. Uh, people who are local to our area will see that name on pretty much any sort of business. <laughs> 
uh, available. Uh, but we wanted to kind of pay homage to where we are located. The Redwood Empire spans from Marin County. Um, I'm sure some of the, some of you have heard of like Mirror Woods is kind of what you would consider to be the start of it. And it goes all the way along uh, the Northern California coast. And it includes where pretty much the only place in the world coastal Redwood Empires live. And so, uh, you know, I, the redwood trees are so magical and majestic and so large and they really lend this sense of strength and gravitas and we kind of wanted to harness that uh, with the products not only with the liquid inside but also with the branding and kind of introduce people to you know this these hidden gems you shared in the inception of the distillery that there were white spirits distilled And right right now, the focus is on the brown spirits and whiskey and not the clear spirits, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, this brand Redwood Empire has, which is our whiskey brand, our, um, Brown Spirits brand has really, um, done a lot for us. And this, since we've released it, it's had such a wonderful reception and I think it's really resonating with a lot of people. So, uh, as with anything in business, you kind of have to be able to adapt and uh, pivot. We are still making those, uh, clear spirits, but they're not necessarily the, the main focus. So we do a vodka and a gin and a barrel gin, and those are Benham's gin. Um, and you know, a little fun side note, I always like to choose the distillery or that I work for or that I, you know, appreciate based off of their gin, because there is no greater control a distiller has than when they're making gin with whiskey. There's a lot, uh, you can do to kind of create a, a final product, but you know, end of the day, you know, you stick that new make into a barrel and kind of hands off it for the most part. I mean, there are certain things you can do. You're tasting through the process, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, But with gin, uh, for those of us who are complete control freaks, and in my experience, most distillers are, uh, every single part, every single drop of that liquid is uh, is controlled by us. Now, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm picturing the gin that's barrel rested is Redwood Empire whiskey barrels that have been used. It's actually not. No. Okay. Let's <laughs> no, introduce that. There wasn't even any whiskey to be uh, made when we were making that product. But because we are part of a wine company, we have access to a variety of different wine barrels. And so it's aged in those. All right. So every time I learn something new about Redwood Empire, I'm, I'm, I'm falling even deeper in love because... All I've had so far are the whiskeys, and I have not had any of the clear spirits. The more you talk about this gin and your love of making and distilling gin, and then these barrels that it's going into, I'm just I'm just blown away. It's very fun. I mean, I like making all spirits, um, but uh, each one has a special place in my heart. It's kind of like you can never really say you have a favorite child, but secretly you do. <laughs> I'm curious, talking about favorite children, I mean, you grew up in wine country, you grew up in a winemaking family, and how is it that you found your way into being a head distiller? 
Well, that story starts many, many years ago. <laughs> it was a convoluted tale for sure. Um, I really denied my love of science for a very long time and full heartedly embraced my love of history. And uh, so in college, I studied uh, Japanese and classical medieval studies. After college, I went and lived in Japan for several years. And uh, while I was there, I got really into candy making because there really aren't ovens available for baking, which is what I loved prior to that. So I did a lot of marshmallow and toffee and chocolate. And I thought when I moved back to the United States, I would be a confectioner. I would make uh, sweet treats uh, and the like. But I ended up at a chocolate company called Cho Chocolate, and I was hired there as a tour and pairings person. So I had the opportunity to pair chocolate with beer, with wine, with cheese, and do these like guided presentations of tasting. But of course, the one that was the most fun and the most exciting was the chocolate and spirits tastings. Uh, and so that's really kind of what opened my world to spirits. And I started doing more and more research, research into how to taste spirits. Um, because up until that point, you know, <laughs> drinking versus tasting spirits is a very, very uh, different approach. And so I really didn't have the opportunity to appreciate spirits uh, with just the drinking component of it. You know, I had a goal that I wanted to achieve and I was going to get there. <laughs> but with tasting, you have a little bit more of an intellectual connection with the product. So I was able to kind of come up with uh, a very different relationship with spirits through that. And when I decided I was uh, done living in San Francisco and wanted to kind of move back out to the country, um, I saw that they uh, this uh, distillery called Spiritworks Distillery was looking for someone to bring on as part of their team. And so in 2013, I joined Spiritworks Distillery and eventually became their head distiller. And I was with them for years. And it's just right down the street from Redwood Empire. <laughs> so. I was very familiar with Redwood Empire and uh, eventually I left Spiritworks and Jeff, who is our master distiller, Jeff Duckhorn, he called me and said, do you want to come work with me? And I was like, definitely. So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> that is such high praise. And from what you're sharing and your journey through just discovering spirits, tasting, drinking, and that, you know, pairing story and that pairing part of your story to learning the science and really dialing in to become um, very aware through the whole distillation process, where does that come into who you are? Well, I think for a lot of craft distillers, the balance between uh, art and science is a, a very careful uh, balancing act. Uh, I think that sometimes if you focus too much on the numbers, the data and the science, you can lose touch with the fact that you're making it consumable. You're making something that is to be enjoyed and cherished 
and has very much some heart and soul in it. And I think sometimes if you lean too heavily into the artistic side, uh, you lose the ability to uh, ensure consistency and quality of your product sometimes. Uh, and so we really kind of have to find a happy medium for the brand and the products that you're making. And of course, uh, with your own skill set. I've always loved learning. And so uh, I was a voracious reader when I started uh, distilling, trying to get my hands on every little bit of knowledge. And to be honest, at the time, there really wasn't much out there in uh, the realm of which I was capable of understanding. It's either straight up chemical engineering manuals, <laughs> which... Uh, you know, it's tough if that's not your uh, area of expertise. And then very, very basic uh, kind of general information that didn't have a lot that was usable in a commercial sense. From what so, you're sharing, it really sounds like you are very much hands-on and doing. And once you learn the process, you're really comfortable with moving forward and learning more. You can study all you can study, but doing it day to day. And you it sounds like you've had some great teachers and mentors throughout this, this uh, journey for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great uh, craft distillers and craft distilling, um, you know, education now is really developed. Our community has really developed. And, uh, and so there's a lot more of uh, communicating between distilleries uh, and also openness about process. And uh, that I really enjoy that sense of, you know, everybody kind of sharing the knowledge that is very hard won. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully we make it a little bit easier and a little bit uh, better for consumers and uh, future distillers. As a distiller at Redwood and with the expressions that you create, what do you think are some of your personality characteristics that are being imparted in the whiskey today? <laughs> well, the one that I always bring up is uh, the increase of wheat in our mash okay. bills. I love working with wheat. I think it expresses so beautifully uh, on the palate and uh, in distillate. I think it has an incredible floral uh, component to it, as well as a stone fruit. Um, it's a tricky grain. It can be for uh, to get the, the results that you're looking to achieve with it. But um, I think it really adds dimension. And overall, it really emphasizes what my philosophy is towards spirits, which is a little bit bit softer, a little bit more restrained. I really like things that are intriguing um, as they sit on your palate. So as you kind of take your initial sip and then uh, a road unwinds before you and you can really kind of sit in that product. And I think with the addition of wheat and also some of the um, barrel entry proofs and some of the other things that we're doing, it it softens the tannins enough. It softens some of that initial heat that a lot of people, um, you know, struggle with at the beginning of their whiskey drinking careers and uh, allows you to get to kind of that open landscape faster. You brought up grains, you brought up wheat. Where is Redwood sourcing the grains that they're currently using? 
The majority of our grain is coming from California. We have a uh, a really wonderful family-owned local supplier called Adams Grain, and they're in um, kind of right outside Sacramento Valley in Woodland, California. And uh, I love working with them. Um, we buy corn, rye, and wheat from them. And then we also have a local uh, malt house called Admiral Malting in Alameda, uh, which is kind of the Bay Area, East Bay uh part of, uh, of where we're at and, uh, they do malting, uh, for us. So yeah, our grain is coming from, uh, California and, uh, you know, supplemented from time to time when we want to do something, uh, with a specialty malt or with another project with another grain supplier or things like that. But yeah, by far and away, the majority of our grain is coming from California. So this really can be characterized as a California whiskey. Definitely. I mean, uh, the core products that we have, the Pipe Dream, the Emerald Giant, and the Lost Monarch are all uh, blends of purchased and produced whiskey. And we are very open and upfront about that. I really actually have quite a bit of pride of our blending process. Um, We source from several different distilleries and bring those barrels in-house and do all of the blending in-house. Right now, depending on what product it is, um, we're between 10 and 15% our make our liquid. Um, And then uh, we have, like I mentioned, several other distilleries that we are sourcing from. So for example, the pipe dream, I like to say it's the rule of fours. It's a four grain, four state, minimum four years, although it does go up to 14 in that product. Now, since you brought that up, let's talk about the expressions. Let's dive deeper a little bit. The pipe dream is a measure of fours. And you talked about four states. And, you know, my curiosity, we talked a little bit about this when we met, and I know there are some cast strength uh, releases that you're working on. Is that going to be consistent moving forward with Redwood that you'll continue to source? And if not, or if, you know, just what's the mindset as far as the whiskey, you know, we can expect in the next couple of years? Absolutely. I think that, you know, initially the goal was to create a very accessible product, both in terms of the quality that is uh, the liquid itself and also uh, as a price point. And so we've really been able to achieve that through very smart sourcing and of course, very smart distillation on our end. I mean, we are making between four and five barrels of whiskey a day, so we're not not made. We're we're (laughs) doing some significant production on our end as well. We have a little over, uh, I think we have almost 16,000 barrels uh, in inventory. Uh, and that is, again, uh, 6,000 of those are from us and the rest uh, would be uh, from sourced um, suppliers. So I think the goal for every distillery that kind of starts their career out uh, sourcing is to increase the percentage of your own make within that, not only because you want to have that ownership uh, over it, but also because uh, you don't want to be reliant on other streams in order to feed your brand and make sure that you can meet your goals, especially with the whiskey landscape as it is now, it's becoming you know, more and more complicated, more and more scarce, uh, finding whiskey out there to, uh, to meet your needs. So it really starts to become a necessity at some point to, uh, to make that shift and really make it a focus to put down enough whiskey to, uh, you know, meet your own case goals and your future, um, expectations and predictions for sales. 
Um, but it's a tricky transition. Uh, we have released uh, a bottled and bond and we are just about to release our second bottled and bond. Both of those products are hundred percent, you know, grain to glass for us as part of their designation. And we have just been blown away blown away uh, by the reception of those two spirits. Uh, People have really, really fallen in love with, again, kind of what our style of distillation is, which is that kind of slightly softer, uh, much more depth of character. You don't just blow your palate out, you know, right at the beginning. There's something to be said for that experience. It can be very fun, but just stylistically, it's nice to have options. It's nice to have choices. It's an interesting conversation, and I'm glad that you took the time to explain, you know, where you are as far as the growth and you know maturation of the distillery. Because as you develop these expressions, you are honing in on a flavor profile, uh, an experience, a nose, and and all those things that come with the juice going in the bottle. And you're right, especially now, hey, you don't want to lose that source. And then where are you left? But still, you can control the process. So over time, if you can still source, maybe that becomes maybe another product, or I guess you have the ability to um, weed off of or wean off of uh, a specific expression and say, hey, you know, that was then, but this is now. It's, it, it, it's Jack Daniels can never stop making Jack Daniels because they control the whole process. But imagine if, you know, they were sourcing that whiskey and then they couldn't get that whiskey or that same quality of whiskey, uh, you know, that Tennessee whiskey to put in their bottle. So, you know, I I don't think that they would have that easy turnaround or turnover like Redwood Empire would. Right. And we're still very, very young. I mean, truly the first whiskey that we put out was in 2019 and uh, to already be doing the volume that we currently are. And uh, with the goals that we have uh, for the next couple of years, I think it is really encouraging um, to, to have faith in the brand and to just kind of be excited to see where it takes us and where we go for sure. Uh, we have a new still uh, on order. Um, it's, I'd say, maybe halfway built. <laughs> uh, it's a 24-inch Vendome, and we currently have a, a 12-inch head frame. Both are continuous column stills, um, so that will increase our production significantly and uh, really enable us to kind of actualize that transition from uh, uh, you know a blend of purchased and produced into uh, strictly uh, produced. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Redwood Empire, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're just giving you a taste. We're just giving you a little taste and we'll see where it goes. All right. Pipe Dream. If um, you know, talk about the characteristics of Pipe Dream and then we'll go into uh, the Emerald Giant, Lost Monarch and talk about some of the other um, uh, limited releases and, and things of, of that nature. But let's focus on that Pipe Dream. Is this the first um, was this the first expression that did come out from um, Emerald uh, Redwood Empire? It actually wasn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the first expression actually came with a completely different label. Uh, and the very first expression was an American whiskey. It was a blend of rye and uh, bourbon. So the Lost Monarch that we now have, uh, that's that's part of that core three. That is the closest to what the very first uh, re- uh, release was out of the, the three that we have. And then um, after that initial kind of go, they realized very quickly that the packaging that they had just wasn't going to be making it work. And so 
uh, they rebranded um, everything. Uh, still Redwood Empire, but uh, really gave it our unique flair and connection to the the Redwoods, and uh, kind of moved forward. And at that point, we released all three uh, SKUs at the same time: so a bourbon, a rye, and then a American whiskey, a blended whiskey. So the pipe dream would be your bourbon. Yes. And yeah. then the Emerald Giant would be your rye. And then the lost monarch. See, see, this is this is what happens when you talk to an ex-elementary school teacher, isn't it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yes. So you're kind of like, yes, okay, you're getting it. You're figuring out. And that lost monarch would be that American uh, spirit. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That I call American it a ribbon. Yeah, yeah. You, you call it a what? A ribbon. A ribbon. Oh, I love that. I've never heard anybody say the word ribbon before. Well, you know, there's of course a uh, high West Borai, right? And uh, I, I, you know, it's always fun to kind of create those mishmash names, but yeah, Ribin, because the majority of the liquid within that product is rye. So we're between 60, 40 and 55, 45 split on the rye and bourbon component in the Lost Monarch. Now talk about some of the flavor characteristics, some of the tasting sure. notes on each individual one, so people can understand a little bit more and, uh, you know, wet their whistle a little bit. Definitely. I think with those three core SKUs, uh, our goal across the board is to create something that is a very solid representation of the individual spirit category and also to uh, kind of act as a, a gateway into uh, drinking whiskey, but not missing out any of the complexity that would be enjoyable for somebody who has a little bit more experience as well. So for the pipe dream, um, in my experience, both judging and being a distiller, uh, bourbon should is almost always about texture for me. Uh, bourbon should have a certain amount of viscosity to it due to the corn, that raw material and those fusel oils that are going to be carrying over. And that's what lets it lay a little bit softer on the palate. So should have a relative amount of sweetness to it. And again, uh, a very kind of thick weightiness that lets it sit on the palate and uh, unfurl into a much larger, longer finish. And certainly that is achieved here. I uh, sometimes I joke that I bourbon is not my favorite style of whiskey, <laughs> but um, I think that I have been converted certainly from the amount of whiskey, the amount of bourbon that we have been making here and uh, just having more and more exposure to it has been uh, really wonderful to see the variety that is uh, achievable there. I mean, as a distiller, there's there's nothing better than having a library of barrels at your disposable from different ages to different uh, distillers to uh, different states that you can pull and play with and uh, and blend with. So that has been such an incredible opportunity for me here. And I also think it's one of the, the strengths that we have currently. That but, would excite me to come to work every day, knowing yeah. that, as you said, there's a library of different personalities and different, different, you know, like you said, different distillers made this. So you can start to say, all right, this is a mindset of what I'd like this to come out. And like you said, mouthfeel, viscosity, flavor, nose, you can start to put that together, but you have such a resource at your disposal. I love it. Yeah. 
it's, it is really special to have that opportunity. Absolutely. But yeah, the, uh, the pipe dream, the bourbon, um, it is a blend of four to 14 year as well. So it has that really strong depth of character to kind of hold up to anything. So, um, that's the pipe dream. And then the Emerald giant, I would say rye is my favorite style of American whiskey. You like it a little spicy. You like a little, little hotter. Yes. I just like the variety in rye. I think with bourbon, um, I think there is a, you know, pretty set standard of expectations, both for producers and for consumers about what will be in a bottle when you buy a bottle of bourbon, which again is why it's so popular. You know what you're going to get. You can feel confident when you buy bourbon that your expectations will be met. Um, but with rye, I think you do get a little bit wider of a, of an, a spectrum of, <laughs> of results, and, you know, some of which are maybe not good and some of which are kind of out of control, incredible. And uh, I think rye uh, as a grain, certainly it is more difficult to work with in its raw form. Uh, for fermentation, um, you know, also during distillation, it can be a little bit trickier to get what you want out of it than uh, than corn can be. Uh, but I, a part of that just feeds into how much more rewarding it is when you taste a good rye whiskey. But certainly uh, as a category, it leans heavier into savory, a little bit of spice. Uh, and I find very herbal. Um, there's like a real kind of alfalfa quality to a lot of the rye that I like, uh, which I find very enjoyable because I loved when you know, growing up riding horses and, you know, doing all that stuff. So it's kind I love of- that memory. See, that's the thing. That's, that's where whiskey and a lot of these characteristics come in because it pulls in those memories, those, you know, whether it's the nose or the flavor, you almost, it's not just what you're tasting. It transcends you or puts you in a place that, like you said, you had this childhood memory, early memory that uh, has stayed with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the enjoyment I think we get when we are eating food or drinking wine or drinking spirits is that, you know, we are making these, you know, connections between what we're experiencing in our nose and in our mouth uh, with these memories that we've like cemented, maybe even in our subconscious. And so it kind of releases some of those, uh, those happy thoughts for sure. Um, But yeah, so our rye, the the Emerald Giant, uh, it is kind of in line with our overall softer approach in that um, stylistically, a lot of the rye that I see in market right now goes into barrel at higher proof. It is really focused on uh, extreme extraction tannin wise from barrels. And so it can feel very aggressive on the palate, uh, borderline astringent. And uh, those are certainly choices that are being made and, and largely enjoyed by people who enjoy rye for sure. But I think that that, uh, can also make it a little bit polarizing uh, for people who are drinking it. So our rye, while it still has a lot of that kind of tobacco and grassiness and, uh, you know, cacao nib and all of that uh, kind of fun stuff that you would expect from a rye, it is uh, a little bit softer uh, on the palate. So you're not burning out your olfactory or, uh, you know, numbing your tongue uh, with tannins. You can really kind of, again, sit with it and enjoy it. Now, You've moved from there to the Lost Monarch, yes? The Lost Monarch is the last one. Yeah. So I haven't talked about that one yet. I mean, yes. 
except for a little bit beforehand. Right. Yeah. So the final is the Lost Monarch, and um, I think it's probably the dark horse of uh, of our whiskeys. Uh, bourbon, the pipe dream, is what we sell the most of. Certainly, I think that there again is that recognition of the spirit type and the spirit category that uh, have people reaching for that bottle first. Uh, and rye, similarly, so I think people are more and more familiar with rye uh, as a as a whiskey type as well. But American whiskey, uh, blended whiskey, I think not only is there less um, recognition there, but also I think that there is a bit of a stigma there. That blended whiskey, that term specifically means uh, that it's a lower quality, that you're blending it because uh, you, you know, needed to hide something or you're trying to get rid of something. And uh, there's certainly been a new wave of uh, blended whiskeys, of American whiskeys out there that I think are kind of turning that stigma on its head. Um, and I couldn't be happier because it just gives a, a distiller a larger palette to, to play with. You know, of course, you know, there are certain restrictions when you're making bourbon and there's restrictions when you're making rye and American whiskey, you can kind of play around with all kinds of things. I mean, if you want to make a hundred percent, you know, uh, well, probably not a hundred percent because that would still be a straight whiskey, but you know, <laughs> like if you want to blend like a 50, 50, Instead of doing like a majority grain, if you wanted to work with triticale or amaranth or spelt or any of these types of things and do these kind of blending programs with them, this is a whole world that's opened up to different flavor expressions and uh, and flavor profiles. So I think that's exciting. And the way you characterize that perfectly, I think for the craft world is, hey, we're not hiding anything. We're amplifying things. We're able to now introduce these nuances that you may never have experienced. And I think from a creativity standpoint, from an artistic standpoint, you're leading the way or part of that lead to say, this is the personality of what Redwood Empire is bringing to that American whiskey. And almost, you know, that category explodes and people now start to seek that out because it's so different. It's very fun. I love pouring it for people who have zero experience with whiskey and people who have significant experience with whiskey because it always gets an interesting reaction. I think it is again, kind of like a best of both worlds type situation, you get rye and bourbon. Uh, but when I watch people who have, you know, a lot of whiskey drinking in their background, they're nosing it. And, you know, there's always this look of like, oh yeah, this is bourbon. I know what it is. And then they take a sip and there's kind of like that surprise, like <laughs> what is this? Um, because the rye is so present on the, on the palate. And so kind of cutting some of that viscosity and the savoriness really kind of comes through on the palate. So it's always fun. I mean, it's always fun to watch people taste your spirits, you know, regardless of what their reactions are, positive or negative. Um, But the Lost Monarch in particular, I think people are so surprised by and, you know, mostly pleasantly surprised by. So that's always an extra bonus when, uh, when we're doing tastings. From that response situation and experience, what was Bar Convent like for you and Redwood Empire? Well, Bar Convent was, uh, I think, the first larger event, certainly that I had participated in uh, after, you know, the pandemic and COVID. So I think everybody there, including myself, was just kind of running off the high of being around 
people again and kind of feeling like uh, these types of events and this type of lifestyle that we might have been familiar with from before uh, is a possibility again. And so uh, it was so fun. I, I love talking. Uh, we were with the uh, emerging brands section, which I love because I always want to hear and see what other people are doing or innovating. And, uh, and there was some really fun people to uh, talk shop with for sure. So I always feel inspired as a maker, as a, as a producer, when I go to any sort of uh, spirits event, you know, whether I'm doing a staff training or, you know, a larger scale event, I just feel so inspired and, uh, and rejuvenated uh, with my own passion for distillation because distilling, you know, depends on how big your team is, but you're kind of cloistered away in a room in a dark for, for a while, right? And, for a you long know. time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're just, you're just you and the still hanging out, you know, <laughs> watching dials and listening yeah. to things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I always say you kind of run a distillery with your ears first and foremost right. and, and your nose, but, uh, but ears definitely give you a lot of insight into, uh, whether or not there are problems. <laughs> You mentioned bottled and bond, and we talked about the cast, the cast strength releases. Talk about some of those releases when, you know, you mentioned the bottled and bond, you've done that twice, and you have really received a lot of accolades and positive reception to that. I, I, I'm just curious on a couple of levels, talk about those expressions that are coming out and how do people get a hold of them? We're on, we're in Pennsylvania. So it's almost like these are the holy grail bottles out there um, to find, uh, you know, how, how do people find these? What are some of the other releases that are coming out? Yes, the Bottled and Bond is, it is more difficult to find because we are not making a huge amount of it. The first release uh, was uh, a thousand cases, uh, 4.5 liter cases, or six bottle cases. And uh, we are increasing that number for the second round. So we're doing um, significantly more. I think we're doing uh, three times as much. I don't know. Alan knows it and how many barrels it is. So the first batch was about 24 barrels and this batch is uh, 75 barrels uh, is the is the blend that we smelled through. So the very first project that I worked on when I started at uh, Redwood Empire, I started in 2021, um, was the very first blend for the uh, bottled and bond batch 001. And that was such a great way to familiarize uh, my Welcome to the team, Lauren. Yeah, exactly. Here, <laughs> no pressure. Go, go smell and taste through all of these barrels. Um, but it was such a great way to familiarize myself with what our house style was. Um, it also allowed Jeff and I to kind of get to know each other's palates and, uh, you know, get to know each other professionally because, you know, we're standing in the stacks for couple of hours, you know, a day uh, tasting through barrels. The first round we tasted through um, about a hundred barrels per expression to, to make the blend of those 24 barrels. And then, um, yeah, so it was such a, it was such a great, uh, transition into being a part of the team. It also let me feel like I was a part of, uh, our bottled and bond, uh, our bottled and bond is minimum five years. So sure. You know, legally it has to be four years, but due to, you know, we have a slightly more temperate climate here. We really wanted to give it uh, an added year to achieve 
really what we were looking to do. So, um, I got to, I got to be a part of that process. It was very, very fun. Um, and then the second round we tasted through about 200 barrels per, uh, expression in order to narrow down to those 75, uh, barrels that are in the blends. So we have two different expressions. We have a bourbon and a rye. The bourbon is called grizzly beast and the rye is called rocket top rye. All of our uh, names for all of our whiskey, Pipe Dream, Emerald Giant, Lost Monarch, Grizzly Beast, Rocket Top, they're all named after actual redwood trees. So on the labels, we'll have the longitude and uh, latitude, uh, the coordinates for where those trees are located. So you can actually kind of like hike out to that that tree and give it a cheers uh, if you feel so inclined. But that's where the names are coming from. All right. Now, there's you've given so many reasons to come out and actually visit Redwood Empire. But the idea of taking all these bottles and cheering these trees and exploring that, that's just that's just fun. That just that just brings a smile to my face that there's so much more that you could do besides drink, you know, this wonderful distilled spirit out of the bottle. And, you know, if, if you haven't seen the labels, you know, go on to the website, but you'll see the artwork is just so much fun as well. I think it really kind of stands out, right? I mean, it's different from a lot of the other whiskey labels that are out there. And uh, that's, you know, part of the equation when you want to have a successful brand, you got to have the whole package, you know, literal package, and then good, good stuff, good juice on the inside as well. But yeah, the second batch of Bottled and Bond is going to be released fingers crossed, or it should maybe even be starting to kind of come out now. It's already been bottled. Uh, and, uh, and so it should be kind of starting to trickle out into market as we speak. Um, I know that there is some on the East coast. I don't know exactly (laughs) where it is. (laughs) I'll have to start putting feelers out then. That's okay. (laughs) It is allocated regionally for us. Um, but I think uh, online is a great, uh, is a great space. I think that gets updated fairly regularly about where to find our spirits, um, and the bottled and bond in particular. Um, but certainly they have definitely become a little bit more of a collector's item. We just did the wine country distilling festival in Sonoma County, which is so fun. Cause you get to see all the other local distilleries and kind of touch base with them again, that, that kind of reemergence after the pandemic, it's been really cool. And and uh, even there, people were like, what can I get bottled and bond? And I'm like, well, it's not out quite yet. Like, <laughs> it's coming. They're like, I already drank through my bottle, you know, my bottles from last year. And I was like, <laughs> okay, love it. Um, but what's really fun is each one, because it's a different blend, uh, they'll have slightly different uh, amounts of grain in them. So one of the things that that I, you know, always push for, as I mentioned before, is uh, higher concentrations of wheat. So we have a slightly higher concentration of wheat in the Grizzly Beast batch 002 from the previous one. And then the rye, the rocket top, it actually is a four grain rye, which is pretty unusual. Um, The corn component of it is only 3%, so very, very small. But what I think that allows for is for some of that texture, some of that viscosity to be present, but not completely eclipse or take away from, uh, from the rye. And so far, I know I said I didn't have favorites, but so far to date, the Rocket Top 002 is my favorite thing that we have put out. Being that you're in wine country, are there any secondary finishing plans to go on or are they already start, have they already started? 
So we do have a finishing program. It's called uh, Haystack Needle. Um, that project, is, it started off with 100% sourced juice because it was significantly older. So we're looking like 12 year, 14 year, you know what I mean? It's significantly older. Uh, that, those projects really were finishing projects. It's always nice to have your own uh, spin on something if you're going to put it into, uh, into bottle. So this is the last year that we will be releasing um, Haystack Needle in its current iteration, which is with that purchased spirit. It will, uh, the kind of idea is that it will transition into our older grain to glass uh, products. And those two will be uh, put into barrel. But yeah, we do. Uh, I think uh, barrel treatment uh, is one of those things that can be difficult for uh, distillers. Wine barrels in particular, I think are really tricky to work with as a, as a distillery and as a distiller, because uh, if you don't get them very, very fresh, uh, they can, you know, turn to acetic acid, you know what I mean? Or if you don't get to them before they get sulfured, then you get a whole bunch of sulfur in there. So you really have to have a really great relationship for your from your supplier, I believe, uh, to uh, to execute wine barrels well. And luckily, we have a winery next to us. <laughs> I mean, we're in the same building, essentially. Uh, and so we get them when immediately after they are emptied, we get those barrels and immediately after uh, whiskey goes in. So we have Chardonnay finish, uh, port, obviously a cab finish. We've done Zin finish before, but I think the thing I'm most excited about uh, this year, we're going to be releasing an apple brandy finish. Oh, and it's, wow. It's apple brandy that we have made. Oh, that's just, I mean, look, everything, as I said, when we tasted all of your expressions, just the amazing experience that we had. Now you're adding all these other things to the to the mix. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm just so excited. I, I. I feel like we should move to where you are so we can camp out for all these bottle releases. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty nice area for sure. But uh, luckily, we are distributed nationally, uh, and so a little bit. A little bit of the experience, a little bit of the taste, a little bit of this very special place that we are in, um, you know, people have access to that for sure. You're also an eco-friendly distillery. You have a little mission going on there. Talk about that. We do. So we have partnered with uh, Trees for the Future, uh, which is a nonprofit that works on um, kind of reforesting, deforesting. <laughs> areas, um, mostly in the areas it will have the most impact. Um, so in Africa and also in um, South America is where that is happening. And then um, there is another nonprofit that we work with uh, more locally within the United States that does uh, plantings and restoration projects and things like that. Uh, we've done some planting in Florida and here in California. And so we're hoping to develop that side of it as well. Yeah. So for every bottle that we sell, uh, a tree gets planted. That's part of the trees for the future. And uh, we made a big push for kind of the month, our month, which is Earth Month. And uh, we wanted to uh, achieve uh, 500,000 trees and uh, we got there. So we're actually awesome. at 600,000, I believe, uh, which is really exciting. Now, for those that are planning to visit the Sonoma area or may have not been to the distillery, what can people expect when they visit? What uh, the tasting room, what can people expect? 
We're not open to the public. See, they're not going to expect anything. <laughs> don't don't even think about showing up, right? That is a secret. Yeah, exactly. No, I think uh, again, that's kind of part of the future plan. Is gotcha. uh, the goal is to have a, a build out uh, in the next few years. I mean, you never know really how. <laughs> things are all going to shake out or timeline like that. But I think there's some real motivation uh, through our management team uh, and real understanding of uh, some of the things that we fear, which is, you know, our, our source streams of our whiskey and wanting to be making more and more of our own and uh, realizing how uh, integral and important that is for us as a brand. Um, so there's some real there's some real oomph behind that uh, right now. So hoping like 2024, uh, we'll have uh, some movement at, to the new facility and uh, very much so would love to have a kind of consumer um, aspect to that for sure. I would just, that experience of the creation of cocktails going through and having somebody like you or somebody on your team take everybody through that tasting experience I, I think that would be so enjoyable. So if you're, if I get a vote, okay, um, little tasting room action, love to see that. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe build out some cabins where we can stay over, like an agritourism uh, over overnight thing. That would be fun. We can help the distiller. We'll hang out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll distill. You know, do the ferment process, and that's our fermented adventure. So we can we can put that in there. Absolutely. Well, there are tree houses. There is a Redwood zip lining course just down the street from us and they have overnight stays in the Redwood there. <laughs> all right. Good to know. And we can smell one distillation day. We can smell all the wonderful oh, yeah. smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other question I think we get asked the most because of Redwood Empire is, do you age your whiskey in Redwood barrels? The I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I don't know why I just, you know, I, I'm, you know, new American Oak. I don't know why I didn't think about the uh, Redwood, but I'm sure the flavor maybe, I don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a no go. I mean, <laughs> I just, I have had um, adjuncts before uh, that have been in, uh, in whiskey and it, and it hasn't uh, translated very well, but I'm sure anything is achievable, right? <laughs> if you put enough time and energy and effort into it, I'm sure we could do it. So there is a there is a potential possibility of a future product where we have kissed that whiskey with a little bit of redwood in there. <laughs> I wonder if, and this is just me thinking as we're talking, I wonder if you took some redwood and you created that smoke wash for, mm. let's say, like an old fashioned. Maybe that's how you impart the redwood in there. Uh, again, because you're right. I don't know about the flavor profile and how that would interact with the juice of the uh, whiskey or the, the, the spirit. Yeah. I was thinking like almost like a Solara kind of uh, experience there. So, cause they have like the huge redwood uh, fermentation, you know, and aging things here for um, wine. Right. And, uh, and so I'm kind of imagining like that's a possibility cause I feel <laughs> There might be less surface area to volume ratio for it to get too much flavor in there, but you can just kind of keep adding and blending in it. That's kind of what I'm imagining. But All right. 2024, that will be uh, the release date for the Solera, <laughs> Lauren Solera whiskey pick, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've been gracious with your time. Baby. This has been a treat. I could sit and talk Redwood Empire all day. Uh, is there anything that we haven't spoken about on the podcast? Anything else you want people to know about? 
Well, I think uh, I just want to to kind of touch base again on the cask strength. Uh, we will have that out in the fall of this year, and that would be a cask strength uh, version of the Pipe Dream, the Emerald Giant, and the Lost Monarch. Um, I, I know that there are some real cask strength enthusiasts out there, and I'm right along with them. Uh, a lot of my career before coming here was making 190 proof off of a, a very tall column, and so. Uh, I'm definitely like a higher proof type of girl, but what I love about cask strength in general is that it encompasses one of my favorite things about spirits, which is that it invites the consumer to be uh, an active participant in its consumption. So, um, you know, with beer and wine, you're given a finished product. It's put in front of you. It's delicious. You enjoy it. But spirits, you get to say how you want your martini mixed. You get to say if you want a whiskey neat or or, you know, an ice cube on the side. Uh, and I think that there's something really engaging and fun about that. And cask strength just does that on its own. I am so glad you touched upon that. And the way you just kind of framed all that, that I can now be part of the experience is something I never really thought about. And the way you brought it about, that's just wonderful. So I'm glad you did that. And we've got a chance, we've had a chance to experience those cast strength expressions and they're wonderful. And, um, you know, again, where we are, hopefully we find a way to, you know, see something on the East Coast. I, I, I just, all these things that are on the West Coast, you just, you have some wonderful things that just never find a way over here. But uh, they'll be there. They'll get over there. This right. is actually, the cast strength will be a smaller release than the bottled in bond um, because it's it's kind of like putting the, the feelers out there, see what, how people respond to it. I obviously am very excited uh, to have it go out. So I, I hope people enjoy it for sure. Here's how, here's how the response is going to be. Please make more. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I'll keep, pass all keep that. Distilling. Uh, keep distilling. What are you doing? Why are you wasting time talking to this guy? Go distill something. <laughs> Lauren, again, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks to everybody at Redwood Empire. Um, we so love meeting you at Bar Convent, Brooklyn. We can't wait to see you again in person. We will take the responsibility to get out to California at some point, unless you're back on the East Coast, maybe for next year's Bar Convent. But uh, thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And uh, we look forward to seeing all the great things coming out of Redwood Empire. Absolutely. My pleasure. And cheers. Cheers. <laughs>